Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. And here we are again in our happy place. You're with Ray Burton and Faye Akaro and the team. We have Cheryl Kennedy on the phones today and John Glidden is standing by to assist us all this morning as he does. Now, you can give us a call now. The lines are open 94841927. Always recommend getting your calls in earlier in the program rather than later. We tend to bottleneck in that last half hour. So much always happening. And you can also reach us by email by going to gardening at curtainfm.com.au. Thanking Chris Bartlett and Mark Carlton for kicking off the weekend with a great music program. And this was followed by Jim Crinan with his cycling update and gin returns at 10am. Faye, how are you? Just had a big sup of coffee then. Yes, very grateful for the coffee you bring us on Saturday mornings, Ray. Thank you. It's a necessity, a heart starter. (laughs) It's a good way to start a Saturday. Yeah, why not? And uh, yeah, so we do sup away on a on a cup of coffee through the program, don't we? We do. So yeah, wet our whistles. Well, we need it today, (laughs) won't we? We've got a lot of talking to do, and a lot of people to talk to. So we do. We'll be joined in the studio uh, at twenty two. Nine, Terry Houston is joining us. Now, he's a native bee scientist and he's retired from the WA Museum and he's author of Native Bees of Western Australia. Okay, he's you already not, want to say something? He's Who'd not him? really retired though, Ray. He, Re- he's I know, on a quest. This is a bit of a camouflage mm. these days. Most people retire and they're busier than ever, ever aren't they? Yeah, for yeah. sure. And uh, Terry is no exception. He's bought himself a caravan, but I don't think he gets to use it much. Mm. He's on the hunt for a a new bee. So a new I bee. can't wait for him to tell everyone about that. <laughs> a new bee. <laughs> a, new, a new bee. All right. And at 20 past eight, we are chatting to the pest manager and owner of EnviroPest, Mark Brown. It's time to talk about termites and other seasonal pests. And we're also chatting to Suzanne Cross at 20 past, no, 22, nine, pardon me. Uh, her garden opened up in uh, Glen Forest today. So we're going to be talking to her about that. That's happening this weekend. So, And I believe it's a ripper. Well, it certainly looks like it, right? For yeah, sure. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, what you, You're looking, fossicking through your papers, pirating away. We've got emails to get through and obviously lots of chat to get through. So how has your week been before we kick off? Oh, it's been a good week. Good. I haven't achieved much, I don't think. But mind yeah. you, yesterday I was inspired to get out and give my shed, my women's shed, a bit of a spritz and blitz ahead of a new beehive Wi-Fi smart irrigation system being installed, Ray. Oh, that is exciting. So exciting. Yeah. Anxious but exciting because yeah. I have to combine my technology skills but mm. I loved it. Daryl got it all set up. He came uh, early in the morning, set it all up, and then he took me around the garden to show me how it all worked. And we got to one area where 
uh, there was a, you know, the, the blockers for a sprinkler when you put a blocker in and it was sort of spitting out yeah. uh, a plug. And um, he goes, well, you know, the beauty of this is that you can just turn it off on your phone, fix the thing and turn it back on again. Yes. Like my life up until now has been. Yes. Um, look at it, walk back I to know, the shed. And, of course, that's 100 metres here having, and or back. Or having someone, I can remember all oh. that, off, on, off, you know, yelling at yes. someone that's near the yes. controller. I know. That's Those days world. are over. So instantly yeah. I went, oh, I love it already. Yeah, no. So I'm excited. You and you won't look back. They have supplied this to me mm. for for nothing, right? Yeah. I think it's a very generous office. So big thanks. Eva set this up in motion mm. earlier in the year when we were giving away lots of goodies with the mm. Irrigation Association Australia and Daryl from HR Products. So I just wanted to say that. Oh, big no, thank no, you. no. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, wonderful, wonderful. And uh, where was I yesterday? I went to the Perth Ladies College Open Garden Day. I took a day's leave off work uh, to cover myself and... Uh, and to went, cover the gardens. And to cover the gardens, <laughs> yes, indeed. So, And uh, it was lovely. Grand houses in Peppermint Grove and grand manicured gardens. And it's a lovely day. And they have amazing markets there as well, which I managed to uh, fill up my knapsack. <laughs> it was getting heavier and heavier as I was going along. But uh, no, it's a beautiful part of the world, of course. And it's just lovely to have a look around... Uh, at the different gardens and see what's flowering out there and uh, it was uh, we were very blessed with the weather everyone thought I think it was going to rain it's been a bit hit and miss you want to say something again go ahead and what's flowering in the back of your car a flowering <laughs> quince thank you and thanks to Kerry at Bigger Trees yes it is it's a beauty and it's coming home with me it and is. I've got a bucket of flowers in my car for you well thank you so it, that's <laughs> Faye's birthday present uh, Faye's birthday was on the third it was. of October so she has a, a red flowering quince and they are in hot demand I might I'm add very and lucky. I drove up uh, to, uh, to visit bigger trees and had a good look around the nursery I haven't been up there for a while so I'm a full bottle now on everything that I saw oh, good yeah so it was absolutely wonderful just to have a wander around up there and see Carrie and uh, and stay in touch and uh, whilst whilst the flowering quinces were being loaded onto one of those little uh, runabout trailer trucky things that they have on oh, the yes. big nurseries what do you call them buggy type <laughs> things a couple came over and said, we like these. We want these. <gasps> and I was standing nearby and I said, oh, they're sold. Uh, and apparently, because <laughs> um, yeah, I think she only had a few, apparently she had a few calls chasing this flowering quince. It's not, you can't find it everywhere. Wow. So I think she will be getting some bare-rooted ones in uh, for next year. That will be the way to bring them so in. So I guess to for people to order them. I know when, Definitely. when Felicity's garden was open, Penny had one uh, just blossoming in her garden That's and right. it was such a feature. It really was. I'm yeah. going to need you, Ray, me. to come and have a look a and spot. see where I'm going to put it. Well, you, mm. mine will have to be kept quite contained because uh, they, mm. they can get to a you know, decent size, uh, not overpowering size, but decent. And you've got mm. the room to let it rip, whereas I don't. So mine's going to have to be kept smaller I will have to maintain it they do have the only thing is they do have a bit of a thorn on them which is oh, I'm not worried about that yeah but it's a great habitat for uh, the birds and wildlife apparently do from what I've read really like these trees as well so they are they're a winner they're I, I a have winner. a 
bird nesting in an artificial standard azalea at my front door. Oh, the poor thing. I but mean, it's fine. What it thinks it's real. It it's just matter. found itself a spot. Yes, they're finding <laughs> spots in Everywhere. pots and you name it. Oh, it's the gorgeous. birds are nuts this year. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Everything's gone nuts. Oh, and aphids, aphids, aphids are nuts. Oh, yes. But aphids, mm. right? Mm. So I've been talking about this and mm. saying just spray them off. So I had lots of roses, rose, had lots of aphids on my seduction roses a few weeks ago. Yeah. Then I started to see a ladybird, uh, hoverflies. Um, and a predatory or and parasitic wasps around, not an aphid on those seduction roses now. And when I got home from the show last week, I was looking at one of the other roses in the garden and it had lots of little flecks on it. And I mm. thought, oh, that looks like the aphid nymph skins. And when I looked closer, there was a hoverfly larva. Yeah. And if you've if you've ever watched. The video that I took, the hoverfly larva looks like a little caterpillar. He does. And it kind of must be blind and it just flops around like a seal. You know, well, the I, way I, they lift the head I've up. I've definitely Let, had that on my yeah. rose. And so what they then do, when they land on an aphid, they grab it, suck the juice out of it and spit the skin out. Mm. So I've got... The video of that, oh, that as happening. well. So <laughs> all I could see really was a few little aphids, but all these nymph skins and then yeah. this little hoverfly larva. That is why we don't poison our roses because the birds also come in and they take the, the larva and the aphids for food. I don't see the birds so much, but I definitely have had activity around mine. But I have to say the aphids have been, in my opinion, very prevalent this year. Mm. They come why. at a time, mm. and then once the food source is there, then the yeah. predators and the parasites come. So I've said it before, look closely, but look closer again. Get your magnifying glass out, and even when you pick your rosebuds, have a have a close look. Take the opportunity. I brought a bunch of flowers inside the other day, and there was a brown lacewing on it. Mm. So while I was trying mm. to get a photo, it flitted off. But mm. I know that I would be able to find it again at night time mm. by putting the kitchen light on because they, they're attracted to the light. So it's in your house somewhere. Yes. I'll, <laughs> I'll be locating it. And when I do, I'll get mm. photos for you. Oh, well, thank you. But um, I've, I pruned my roses late this year and uh, they're just I'm just getting my first flush now and they're beautiful. And I wanted to stay that way. I don't mm. want the chilli through it back this year. Oh, mm. well, it, don't worry about it. It might I, never happen. It might. Okay, well, I'll take your I'll take your thought process on that. And, well, it's uh, no I good worrying not. about something I know. that might It's just happen. that they have wiped them out the last two years and they were baby roses and they haven't had a chance. And they're looking so beautiful. I'm thinking, this is how it should be. And they enjoy just, the I moment. Ju- they just, I am trying to enjoy the moment. They add something. Roses add something to your garden. And I forget about that um, sometimes, particularly in the last two years. They just give everything a lift, you know. They are a, a magnificent, generous flower. They um, are. Yeah. Okay, you want to say more? Well, I've organised something else this week, Ray. Mm-hmm. Early September, we got an email from Wayne and he had been uh, travelling over to Cairns and they were fortunate to do a tour of the Botanic Gardens conducted by Bridget Gower from Aussie Macro and he suggested that she might be a good guest for the show. She was coming over here to photograph peacock spiders. So I've been in contact with her this week. And thanks to Wayne, we will be 
speaking to her next weekend on the show. Okay, and because you went to a luncheon this week, didn't you? I did, yes. Uh, Kerry, Kerry Stewart, who I've met through our love of insects and native bees, organised uh, a lunch up at Kings Park and um, there was a, a guest over from Queensland who's a, a native bee photographer, How Jenny, wonderful. and she's here uh, looking at our beautiful wildflowers and, and bees and insects and... We were joined also by Jean and Fred Hort and Terry Houston. So okay. funny when you, you know, you don't see anyone for ages and then he will be joining us on the show, which has been in the pipeline for quite for a long some time. time. And how mm. is Kings Park looking, dare oh, I ask? Well, Breathtaking. as you can imagine, sitting oh. in Zamia Cafe, looking oh, outside. Oh, I love Zamia. There's a mm. Zamia, well, Zamia Palm, it's actually a cycad. Uh, probably Macrosamia reedlii is one of our local ones. And trigger plants, a carpet of trigger plants, Ray. Mm. They just, oh, just mm. gorgeous. Everlastings, kangaroo paws. Oh, please. Daisies. I know, I know. You know, if Your you want inspiration, full, right? Your heart is go go mm. and have a look at Kings Park. Yeah, just, just, it's food for the soul. Mm. And have yourself a coffee at the same time. Yes. Yeah, the not? food was delightful. Oh. Yeah, it was a lovely lunch. Oh, how gorgeous. All right, you can give us a call. We will stop chatting amongst ourselves. 94841927. I have my bigotry voucher to give away today. As long as you're a Curtin FM member and you haven't won a prize in the last 28 days, it could be yours. And perhaps I might even give that away now. Why, okay. Why not? Because I can see that we have time and I know the program's going to get awfully, awfully busy now. Bigger trees, absolutely. Their specialty is frangipanis. Now, I had a look at the frangipani display and it's set up beautifully and there's just a massive range of frangies waiting uh, for to be sold, really, I, I, I as such. And the rare varieties and everything that you could look for um, in the frangipani area. It's just like one whole dedicated, um, what do we call it? It's not a... She's got um, the way that's all sort of set up. I can't say shed. What am it's I like trying a, to say? A framework. Is it well, she's just covered by the, shade cloth? Yeah, she's just got these mm. huge areas. And anyway, that's the frangy area. And as you walk into it, there's been this massive uh, wisteria, white wisteria. Yes. And since I've been there last, it has grown enormously. And that's the entrance as you walk into all where all these frangies are. Of course, they're not in flower at the moment, but it won't be long. And uh, you can certainly have a good browse around and see... See what's available, my goodness. And, of course, her ornamental and fruit trees. That's the specialty of bigger trees, and that was really driven home to me the other day when I was there. If you can't find a tree there, there's something really wrong. And uh, I was uh, I could have come home with uh, at least a dozen, <laughs> I'm telling you. All right, now, um, must be a Curtin FM member, not to win a prize in the last 28 days. If you'd like to win the $75 gift voucher, compliments of the lovely Kerry at Bigger Trees, here is your question. Okay, the song I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing was a hit for the New Seekers in 1971. In the song, they say they'd like to grow a particular plant, along with honeybees and snow white turtle doves. Which plant do they want to grow? 94841927. Give Cheryl a call and that $75 voucher could be on its way to you this week to visit the glorious bigger trees. All right, we have, let me see. We will have a quick break and when we return, we are chatting with D-Arm. 
23 minutes after 8, straight to the lines. We're in Madeley. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. How's it going? You're with Ray and Faye. Thank you. Um, thank you for your great show too. Um, I'm having a frustrating time with, I have four, the one metre high hibiscus plants and in Madeley I'm facing west so they cop a lot of wind and all of the elements but I'm having trouble with dieback and I don't know why it's caused. My other hibiscus are fine. Sometimes it goes down as far as about four inches on some branches and then on one plant it was the middle branch and it just all died back. But they still flower and they're still green. But also um, I find these tiny weeny miniature snail things on the leaves. But I'm, I'm flummoxed. I took a piece to the the, 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 vet, the nursery and they didn't have an answer. So I'm hoping you do. Uh, I do wonder if maybe there's too much soil or mulch close to the trunk of the tree if it's getting too wet and it's dying back at that point or being affected there? Well, it's an interesting question that because it's on a driveway, these are the one metre high um, hibiscus, they're not the real big ones. And because the driveway is on a slope, the only one that would um, have water would be the bottom one. So yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's water. Okay. Because it does dry out. It's really open to the southwest winds and everything out there. So it's quite, quite drastic the elements for them. Okay. Uh, the other thing is it then moist enough? But is this something that's happened just through winter, or is it happening year round? All year round. Okay. And what's the new growth like? Um, it gets a tiny growth on it. Um, yeah, the, the new growth is fine. Right. Uh, and the other thing is that the flowers, and I think it's a separate thing, the flowers don't always open up. What colour are the flowers, Diane? Beautiful, yeah, beautiful yellow. All right. Do you know what variety they are? No, I don't. I can't find my label. Are you able to send us through a photo, please? Oh, I can. That that would help. Um, a close up of the plant where where the dying back is occurring, but also the location. Uh, yep. I do wonder if they're getting everything they need from the soil as far as moisture goes. When mm. I have plants that are dying back, I cut back to healthy growth, yes, so that I've you can then that. monitor going forward. You know, have you kind of fixed the problem, or do we have to go and look a bit further? Yeah, I have just put, I, I have cut back, die back and um, put the hibiscus fertiliser on it and then I've topped around, I've just done this in the last week and I topped around with some um, sheep manure. Okay, also I'd probably suggest, Madeley, you're probably very sandy, a liquid yeah. wetting agent. Okay. Okay, so yeah. try that yeah. and if you can send through a photo, we can will, try and identify the variety yeah. and then, you know, sometimes particular varieties are susceptible mm. and it would be good yeah. to know that. Because they're beautiful when they're fully out in flower. They're, they're absolutely beautiful, but yeah. Um, yeah, I just I know it's a rough element out there, you know, yeah, it well. can be really damaging. And then in the summer, you've got the, yeah, facing oh, the west. Belting yeah, heat. Yeah, oh, well, good luck, and mm. we'll wait for the photos, Dion. Thanks for your okay. call today. Cheers. Thank you for the time. Bye. Bye. I was only saying to someone during the week, the hibiscus is underrated, I think. Oh, I know. You know, yes. we need to talk about them more.
All right. Uh, now, we do have Mark Brown online from Enviropest. So, Laurie, if we could just ask you to stay with us, we will be with you uh, as quickly as we can. And we do have a winner, by the way, for the Bigger Trees voucher. I will talk about that as soon as I can as well. Good morning, Mark Brown. You're with Ray and Faye. How are you? Very well. Good morning. How are you? Very good. I bet you're being kept busy out there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's that time of the year. Everything's happening. Absolutely. Well, it's hard to pick a topic to talk about today because you you <laughs> seem so to be many. across everything. Yeah, well, I thought we might, um, <clears throat> excuse me, go down the termite tunnel a little bit today. Um, I think that people are getting back out into their gardens now and, and starting to see... Um, maybe a few termites around as they've been inside for most of the winter. <laughs> so maybe we could go across that type of topic if you're... Yeah, that's, that. well, that sounds a great place to start. And I know one thing that we sometimes get asked is adding mulch to your garden, can that bring in termites? That's a question I have. Mm. Yeah, it's a common question. We get that a lot, to be honest. And I think the, the quickest way to answer that is the termites are already here. Like they've been in WA and Australia for much... <laughs> much longer than we have. So bringing mulch in won't bring the termites. They're already here. But um, putting mulch against your house, things like that is going to bring them closer to your home. But yeah. um, So prevention is definitely better than cure. If you, if you need to mulch, great um, mulch. But know that um, putting them too close to your home is going to encourage them closer to your home. The, the structure is what we're trying to, to keep safe. But I, d I don't ever discourage people from using mulch because... Um, you know, mulch is great and uh, it's required in the garden and uh, you know, you're you not going to get away without using it. So For sure. I, yeah. already there. I had termites last year, Mark, so, um, yeah, and I lived in close. In the home or where Yeah, were they? in the home, in the in home. home. Yeah, yeah, so okay. that was pretty devastating. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they can be mm. devastating and we're just trying to prevent that, you know. Mm. Like you got, most people are going to deal with termites in their garden at some point, no matter mm. where you live, whether you're yeah. on the coast or in the hills, so... But in the home is where we want to avoid. So I ended up doing a barrier, uh, what would you call it, a barrier protection? A liquid barrier. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep. yeah. Well, that's generally the most common and the most cost-effective way to treat homes here in WA. Most um, um, of our treatments are liquid. You can bait now as well with stations and things like that around your home, but um, liquids are probably the most cost-effective way to, to get rid of termites and um, probably our most common treatment. Yeah, and is it true, Mark, that they're attracted to uh, things like hot water systems that are situated on the outside of our homes on our walls? I heard that they like to get around those types of environments. It's the moisture, really. Yes, they're looking yes. for the moisture in the soil. So the mm. easier the soil is to move through to the termites, the easier, the more attracted they are to that area. Mm. So things like hot water systems that are dripping, things like that, and your pressure relief valves, they should be checked and tested, and if they're leaking, to be replaced. But things mm. like downpipes need soak wells, stuff like that. That's like, how I think my termites yep. got in. Got into the right. house. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Through the, in that area, was yep. it? Of the yep. home? Yes, yeah, yes, okay. yes. Yep. Mm. Yeah, so they live in high humidity underground and they're looking for that, that easier soil to move through. So moisture mm. is a big um, attractant for them. So keeping soak wells and drainage away from your home, especially that concrete slab, is the key. Yeah. So, yeah. so another yeah. thing that gardeners seem to think if they've got a tree that's in decline and and eventually dies we sometimes yep. hear 
oh, termites killed my tree. So yeah. is, is that the case? Well, termites generally eat the heartwood of the tree. Um, the sapwood, as you guys know, would, you know, it's the lifeline of the tree and that's where the water goes up and down to the leaves, etc. So they have to eat from the heartwood out to that sap line before it's going to die. So you've got a lot of time before that tree will die to, to be saved. So what we'll commonly see is you'll find that there'll be mud in the bark on the outside, coming up the outside, or you'll find like a small mud mound at the base of the tree if yeah. they're attacking that tree. But they're generally eating that, that heartwood and they can eat a lot of that and it's only until they get to that those outer the outer part of that tree before they'll cut off the lifeblood and it will die. So generally we'll drill into that tree uh, with a six mil or 450 long drill bit and then we can inject a, a, a pesticide into that and take out the take out the colony and the tree will be will be fine. Absolutely. So, so I guess gardeners, if they're they're looking at a tree and it doesn't look too healthy, they look for signs of mud on the That's outside. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's going to be your, your, your key. Sometimes you'll be able to break off one of the lower branches and you'll see them in the lower branch as well. Like It's not uh, that easily to see, but you'll, if it's a small branch low, you can snap that off and you'll just see them in there as well. They'll go to the lower branches, obviously, before they'll go up. But the most, the easiest way is definitely going to be the mud going through the bark on the outer yeah. part of the tree. And so, Mark, in my situation, uh, where my house is situated, uh, there's trees behind uh, a row of houses and we back onto wetlands. Yep. And a house two doors down had exactly that where trees had brought termites into their home and they did come in yep. and actually remove those trees, but they did have the mud build up uh, on the trees. That, yeah. Well, in that situation, yeah, you'd, like as a um, uh, like pest controller, we're trying to, We'd want to attack that tree before yeah. that was removed so that you could yeah. you know, you take that colony out before you'd remove the tree. So um, not always removing the tree is going is to be And is the result, yeah, well, I wonder if they did actually treat it because I'm yeah. only two doors down and that happened before I had my problem, hey? Yeah. Mm. So the termites the, move. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, sometimes people are pretty quick on the trigger and they'll just say, well, yep. let's remove the tree altogether. But that yes. colony could mm. still be... In that deep, in the in the root of that tree, or even yeah. not even in that tree, but it'll be around. That we'll just move on to the next tree, or move on to the next house. You know, yeah, so yeah quite to, right. Mm. Yeah, take that colony out before it moves on. Really cool. Is it true that black ants eat the white ants? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I mean, that, it's a common question we get. The answer is yes. I mean, they love them. They, black ants will feed on white ants. The problem is that they'll never do enough damage to the colony. Like the colony will just cut off. The, the the lead where the black ants have come into and they're more than happy to sacrifice a couple of thousand you know over the millions that are in their colony to to knock them out so they're never going to do any damage to the actual colony but okay. they will feed on 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 a few to say yeah the least like they so the answer is yes but but they're just never going to do enough damage to that colony whatsoever so would it be a good idea to to maybe have an area in the garden that is like a, a termite trap, like for example, logs of wood that yeah that could be on the no. soil to attract them away from the house. No, it's a common question. The answer is you don't want termites at all. Okay, so it used to be a myth where people would say, "Well, I've got you know a couple of garden sleepers out there, and they can eat that." And yeah, it doesn't I'm happy like them that. out there. Mm. But the truth is, yeah, that colony is just getting bigger and bigger. 
So when it decides to hit your house, it's going to hit it harder and faster. So you, you don't want them getting stronger and stronger out in your garden bed at all. <laughs> you don't want yeah. them at, at all. You don't want them, old, period, no. full stop. Yeah, no, okay. That, that's right. It's just an old thing that, that, that used, it's quite common here in WA for people to say that they're out there and that's okay. The truth is when they decide to turn around and hit your house, yep. it's going to be twice as quick yep. 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 <laughs> when they do go. Now, so. Mark, last weekend Greg called in about rats and I know yep. that this is something that you're you're on top of. He said he's uh, used the bait Rackerman, but he said they stop, they're not interested in it. So how, well, how can people deal with rats in a way that isn't going to harm our wildlife? Rackman is is basically one of the better chemicals that we use, one of the better baits. It's got very limited secondary poisoning, but it is a, what we call a multi-feed, so the rat has to eat it a couple of times. So if you're going to use Rackman, which we use a lot of um, because it's one of the safest, if not the safest bait, you need to eliminate everything else that they're going to eat. So if you've got them in your shed or you've got them in, uh, in the back garden, you're going to need to keep your yeah, fruit trees and things pruned up. Like you need to just eliminate the, everything that they could eat, including like things like dog food, stuff like that. If you've got that outside, like all those things have to be changed yes. while you're baiting. You've got okay. to make the rackerman the most attractive thing to eat because okay. if it's not, they they won't eat it. It, it is a wax, and I mean it's. It's the least palatable thing they're going to eat all day. Yep. <laughs> so you've got to make it the only thing that they can eat all day, if so that makes sense. Clean up your yeah. fruit trees. Don't leave bird yeah. seed lying around, dog it, food, etc. Okay, yeah, That's right, especially when you're baiting. I mean, you can go back to your normal habits after you've got rid of the problem. Yep. <laughs> but if you're in a baiting program and or you're in the middle of trying to get rid of them, you've really got to eliminate everything else and make them go for the bait. And okay. that, can, that can be a challenge, but yep. that's that's generally the answer if you're going to use Rackman. And, and, and I do recommend Rackman. It is definitely one of the safest baits around the world. All right. Okay. And uh, just bear with me, Mark. Uh, Jan from Waikiki has a question for you, but I can't actually yep. open up her line to you. So, Jan, what I'm going to say is I'm going to try um, – if Cheryl is listening that we get the question from you on our screen and then we can put it to Mark uh, rather than we can't take the call on line one. So if Cheryl can get the question from you, Jan, and type that up on the screen, then I can put the question to you. And the same, perhaps, I'm not sure, with John and Bunbury wanting to have a chat as well. If you can put your question on the screen, we can then answer. Mark, can we get you in the studio one time? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it'd be fun. Yeah, I think it would be good. There's a lot of topics that we could probably cover together. Sure. um, We could just get rid of a few myths. Myths. There's a lot of them out there, isn't there? Yeah, in person. We deal with that on a daily with our with the girls in the office like yeah. a lot of times the the questions are the same and they're they just miss questions and mm, yeah. I think we could probably straighten out a few things that would be great <laughs> that would be good now just quickly the yes, the topic yes. that a lot of people are asking about and I know you deal with this on a regular basis now chili thrips yes. how can you yes. help the listeners um, it is difficult like we use uh, professional products, but imidacloprolid is one of the better ones that we use. We, The brew that we use has got three products in it, three in our tank, and one of them is a professional 
um, white oil, but it's um, it's called DC Tron Plus. It's difficult to get a hold of if you're in the general public, but um, imidacloprid is, is definitely one of the most, we've had the most success with it, but we use as a combination of um, that particular product with a professional white oil as well. So um, it, it's consistency. There's another active in it called beta-sosluferin, and you need to hit it a couple of times in a row. And this is where we explain to our clients, like, we can get rid of what's there at the moment, but you'll need to do a follow-up treatment in three weeks as well. We're trying to break that life cycle. Yeah. So, but there, there definitely are products out there, and there definitely is ways to do it. Um, I'm not sure of Bunnings. I don't sort of hit their insecticide uh, oil no, <laughs> very for sure. uh, but um, but there definitely is ways to, to treat it and um, I think Confidor is probably one of the that's got a metaclopin I'm not sure of what the rates are at the moment what they're selling it in Bunnings I'm, I'm not sure but it's definitely fixable problem like thrips aren't that difficult to get a hold of with the right um, with the right treatment Mark our board is lining up with with questions um not okay. sure what's the best way to do this because we've got a guest coming into the studio, but tells yeah, me you're okay. very popular. Um, <laughs> so I'll take these questions and perhaps I can shoot you through an yeah, email this we, week. We line up. I'll come in maybe in next week or the week after if there's a few there. I'm yeah, not sure. sure. Yeah, like let's, said, do too many yeah. Let, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, sorry to eat into That'd your weekend. No, all right. no, definitely not. This is not any good way with kids at all. <laughs> Thank not. you very we'll much for your you time. Guys. Okay, lovely. Have a great day. You okay. too. Thanks, Mark. Cheers, guys. Bye. Cheers for that. Bye. Bye. All right, we're going to have a short break. And then when we return, we will answer the questions. And we're also going to have a chat with the open garden lady, Suzanne Cross. Yep, it's all happening. <laughs> And you're listening to Let's Talk Gardening with Ray and Faye and we've been joined in the studio by Terry Houston. Thanks, Terry, for coming in. I'll get you to pop your headphones on and get nice and close to the microphone and, Faye, you're busting at the seams. Go ahead. Well, Ray, I just wanted to say we will be speaking with Suzanne today about her open garden. I know she's got a busy day and probably doesn't have a lot of time. We've just got Terry here and we have got a question from Jan in Waikiki. Mm. So okay. we'll come back to that. We'll talk to Suzanne. Well, she's not she... online okay. as yet. So she's just getting up online. Do you want to speak to Jan first? I think for so. Sure. Okay. Jan, thanks for waiting. Are you there, Jan? Oh, no. This is, Mel- this is not Jan. Are you? Oh, okay. Well, who, who are we are... speaking with? Oh, my name is Melody. I don't need to speak to anyone, but I couldn't understand that last man who was talking about a ch- chili trip. I couldn't understand anything, and I don't know what he recommended. So if they could just maybe repeat it. I don't need to speak to them. You know, the name of the product. We we probably can't repeat what he said because he was talking a, a scientific language uh, and oh, products yeah, that yes. we, we can't get at our local hardware stores. Oh, I see <laughs> We will be having him in... He was hard to understand for me, you know. Oh, I understand that. We will be getting him back in the studio in the next week or two. Or we have a link to the podcast if you wanted to listen to it again. Yeah. Again. All right. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. Bye, Bye, Melody. Bye.
All right, I'm not sure what's happening. We're still waiting uh, for Suzanne Cross. We'll get her up online shortly. Well, I guess, Ray, the question for the white hat man was, Jarrow Windowsill has piles of black dirt frequently. She sprays and sprays, but they keep coming back. Could that be white ants? Very possibly, because that's what I noticed uh, that I had, and it looks like someone, it, it, it builds up and it looks like someone has thrown a handful of mud at at the, you know the the object, mm. if you like, the wall or the windowsill in this case, and I don't think spraying it is going to cut it. It might help you if for the interim, but you have to get to the source. And you actually, what they do is they come in and they do a treatment, and uh, they want activity because then those white ants go back to their nest and take the the treatment with them, and that's how they start to deal with it. And it is a job for the professionals not to be spraying, but we assume that's what it is. But you know what, Jan, you could always email us a picture. Uh, that we could uh, on send to Mark uh, that we just spoke with and uh, get a, a definite diagnosis for you. So our email address is gardening at curtainfm.com.au. And uh, John Bunbury also phoned in and he wanted to know if his cat does eat a rat that has been poisoned, can his cat get ill? Well, it depends on the poison that's been uh, utilised and that's what we were discussing. And that's why over time uh, we've moved to this one called Rackerman yeah, because for that of reason. the reduced risk. risk. Yeah, quite right. Mm. Okay, now we do have Suzanne up online. Suzanne has a open garden today called Creating My Sanctuary. It's situated up in Glen Forest. Suzanne, how are you? Yes, hello. Good morning. Morning. Uh, morning. Bet you've oh, been up you. and up and running early this morning, Suzanne. Oh yes, I would say what my father would call it, but very early. <laughs> <laughs> now, tell us, tell us a little bit about your garden. What can people expect to see? Um, well, basically, it's a garden which has been uh, created from nothing. So it was a rental property before we bought it. There was a couple of palm trees. Um, old box trees, remnants of lots of uh, morning glory, um, full of weed. And today I'm just showing what you can actually do <laughs> if you spend a bit of time. So um, you, just quick. you were telling me that you've put, uh, was it retaining walls around the edges and, and a yeah, spellier? So we, we were, absolutely. Yeah, we have. We've kind of um, planted out with um, fruit, we've got fruit trees, veggie garden, uh, it's kind of into sections. There's um, rose garden um, with perennial borders. Also, um, I have a native garden, a couple of native gardens, tropical garden. Um, yes, there's spellier along the fence. We've got a raised, um, fence, a raised um, bed along the fence to make use of the room there. Um, and it's just, um, I think it just all flows through as you walk through. You can just see different areas with different plantings that hopefully will suit everybody, yeah. Oh, it does sound very lovely. And you're fundraising for dementia and your garden is at 42 Hardy Road in Glen Forest, open today and tomorrow from 10 to 4 p.m. That's right. There is also um, refreshments available. We've got some homemade slices with tea and coffee. Gorgeous. People people that would like to uh, sit. And um, both days at 11 o'clock, I am just giving a uh, small talk on sustainable gardening and just to open, ask any questions that people have about, you know, how it began and things like that. Yeah, yeah very worthwhile. And funds uh, for Dementia Australia, fantastic. 
Yes, yeah, it's a very good course, isn't it? It certainly is. So it's a quarter acre of absolute magnificent native cottage and edible gardens. That's correct. Absolutely. Yeah. And you talk about your rich soil. Is it um, was this, how, how have you amended the soil over the, over the years? Um, basically, uh, lots of composting. I got into lots of composting and utilised the chicken manure. Mm. I also bought in soil, to be honest. I bought in organic sheep and cow and mushroom and just continuously just kept um, yeah, building it up, building it up. Yeah. And um, I'm very lucky that we have got clay somewhere down there which actually retains yes. the moisture for a lot of the plants as well. Quite right. Um, yeah, one area where we've got the chook pen that was actually total granite so I couldn't plant it so we kind of utilised that space for the chooks. Um, but basically on the whole, it's, it's, I think it's just an ongoing um, progress yes. with your soil. You just it have is. to look after it over summer, make sure it doesn't dry up too much because then you're back to square one really, just all depletes. Um, so just continuously, yeah, um, building the soil, lots of various mulches, um, even ground covers as mulches, different things, lots of super ideas that you can really do with that, to and, be quite honest. And, and Suzanne, have you opened this garden before? No, I haven't. I'm actually very nervous, oh, <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah, I get that. Um, I, it's quite I a personal thing, isn't it? Very personal. It is. Yes. Very personal. <laughs> Yeah. And, we, and we and and you know most and and people are, are wonderful and they will be in awe. Certainly, when we're looking at the pictures <laughs> that we have in front of us, Suzanne, I don't think you've got anything to worry about. What we are all human and we all worry yeah, about, I suppose, course. judgment, <laughs> don't we? And uh, I yeah. think it will be an, uh, where the gods are on your side as well. We encourage oh, everyone to get that. along uh, today and tomorrow between 10am and 4pm for this open garden situated at 42 Hardy Road in Glen Forest. We have a horrendous line, Suzanne, so we will let you go, young lady. Get back out Thank to doing you. your thing and we hope to see you ourselves this weekend. Oh, lovely. Thank you very much. All Thank the best. Take bye. care. Good luck. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Sorry about that line. I have no idea. I can only but apologise. Absolutely atrocious. All right, we'll be back in a moment. Okay, busy morning. As we anticipated, we will be going to the nine o'clock news very, very soon. Now, just getting back to our winner of the Bigotry's voucher, Emily of Cloverdale. The question was, the song I'd like to teach the world to sing was a hit for the new seekers in 1971. In the song, they'd say they'd like to grow a particular plant along with honeybees and snow white turtle doves. And we asked you what plant do they want to grow? And the answer is apple trees. Ah, well, there you go. Okay, so good on you, Emily. A voucher will be on its way to you this week and you'll have a lovely time spending that up at the magnificent bigger trees there in Pickering Brook. And I had a look up there this week and... uh, you won't know. You'll be running around circles. You won't know which which way, which direction to go in, and how to how to spend that. It's uh, absolutely beautiful up there. All right, uh, we have special guest in the studio with us this morning, Terry Houston. We're talking about native bees today as well, and uh, we're still keeping our lines are obviously open for all gardening questions. So keep coming through with those on nine four eight four one nine two seven. Any questions that you have, Faye is here to answer them. Now, Terry, I can't imagine how you feel. Every time I tell someone about native bees, they go, oh, I love honey. And I think, you know, like people don't seem to understand a lot about our native bees at all or even that they exist. Well, that's true. (laughs) And um, 
That can be because they're often very hard to see or to recognise as bees. People might be seeing some in their garden and passing them off as just a little fly or a wasp because they're not always bee-like in appearance. Well, that's right. And when they talk about, well, how can I get them into my garden? Well, there again, you know, each bee is different, isn't it? It's like, how can you bring native bees into your garden? Uh, the best way to get them into your garden is to encourage them in by planting native plants and um, bee-friendly plants, so those that have open flowers. So eucalyptus is a, an example of an open flower where any insect can crawl into it and obtain nectar, um, as opposed to a long tubular of flowers which might present a problem for them. So uh, you can't easily bring bees into your garden so you can't get a hive of native bees and bring them in. Yeah. Um, over east you might be able to do that. I mean in eastern Australia, Sydney northwards, where there are little native bees called stingless or sugar bag bees and it's become very popular for people to keep hives of those and yes, there you can move hives around and um, you can multiply them and farm them out but they're not native to Western Australia, at least not southern Western Australia. So most of the native bees that we have in the southern part and around Perth are solitary in habits or at the most primitively social. So uh, what does what does that mean for people who perhaps are, don't know a lot about insects when you say social or semi-social? Hmm. Yeah, well, I'm semi-social uh, myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> our uh, understanding of bees tends to be based on the honeybee, which we know live in large colonies, mostly consisting of workers, which are sterile females, um, more or less governed by a single queen. Uh, and the males are known as drones, so we rarely see the drones. But um, when we come to native bees, we really have to drop all that and we have have to get a new understanding that many of our bees being solitary, yes. each female makes a nest by itself. It lays its own eggs and provides uh, food for the larvae um, and then it deserts the nest to leave the larvae to develop um, under their own steam. So that's the simplest form of lifestyle. Um, but there are some bees that are primitively social, so they live in small colonies. So a few females might live together. Um, they may not cooperate in building, but they share a nest entrance perhaps. So that's one of the most common kinds of sociality. But then there are some others where one female is the egg layer and the other females, uh, which are sisters um, or daughters, um, will go off and do the collecting of pollen and nectar. So what ones would those be? Uh, they're usually stem nesting bees. Um, so they live in little colonies in, say, um, pithy stems that are broken off, or often there are beetle burrows in wood that they utilise. Um, so there are lots of bees that um, nest in ready-made hollows and for the want of a better term, I call them lodger bees. They just yes, lodge in yes. the hollow and take it over for their own purposes. And um, that's opposed to the ground nesting bees, which have to dig a burrow and excavate chambers to become brood cells. 
So getting back to the pithy stems, they're the ones I know as the reed bees, aren't they? You would know them as reed bees, yes. yes. Okay, Exenura species, little wedge-shaped oh, abdomens. Oh, I'm learning, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we've got a few uh, messages on the board for you, Faye, so I'll get you to knock a few of those over and we will be going to the 9 o'clock news in about one and a half minutes. Okay. Uh, Peter from so- Port Creek. So he has a lemon tree in a pot, which he's been great. But uh, now that when it flowers, the petals are falling off and the fruit is very small, dried up, and it is falling off. Can you help? So I wonder how long it's been in the pot for and does it need refreshing? Because yeah. if it's been in there for four years, the, mm-hmm. the potting happens. mix has become mm-hmm. hydrophobic. It's uh, exhausted the, the mix and the feed in the pot. Mm-hmm. So probably repotting it putting it into some new soil mix, the next size pot up, uh, or reinvigorating with compost, a liquid wetting agent. Uh, but but gauge the plant, Peter. Have a look and see if that is the problem. Remembering that if it's in a pot, you have to give it everything, everything. it needs. So mm, fertiliser, totally. moisture. If it's sitting in a saucer, make sure that the, the holes in the bottom of the pot haven't blocked up. And that it's actually waterlogged in the bottom because roots can fill the the holes in the bottom and it doesn't Mm. drain. Mm. So it can become very manky and muddy. Um, So, yeah, try try those things. Okay. And Linda from Hazelmere, what are the new water restrictions? Her lawnmower man said there are some coming in. Well, they have come in, Linda, and they're for people who have a bore. And it's now from three days a week down to two days a week if you have a bore. Okay, and the next question is... Uh, if you live in a bushfire zone area, mm. you can uh, ask for an exemption. So like Hazelmere? Possibly. Possibly, okay. Mm. And Derek from Hocking uh, wants to talk about roses. He had a waxy cover uh, aphids on his roses. Then all the leaves are now dropping off. Can you help? A waxy cover. cover. I don't quite know. I do wonder if that's honeydew on the leaves. Uh, there's a bit of black spot around as well. Mm. Um, Terry, do you know about this one? Um, it's hard to comment without actually seeing it, I'm afraid. Mm. Uh, a photo would be helpful, Derek, but look look for signs of... And ask yourself, what's happened around the plant? Has it been fertilised? Uh, was it given too much and the roots have burnt, therefore the leaves are dropping off? Was there any herbicides sprayed? Um, any environmental conditions was it in a pot did the pot dry out and the 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 plant has suffered and then is dropping off leaves so there there could be a few things there certainly a photo might help us Derek okay all right now we do have to go to the news we will be talking more on the other side Partly cloudy today with a maximum of 24, right now 18.3 degrees. The minimum overnight will drop to 11. Showers developing tomorrow with a maximum of 23. And on Monday, there will be a shower or two and you can expect a maximum of 22. Tomorrow looks like there will be some rain uh, later in the day for up to 10 mils. For between 4 and 10 mils, 90% chance of that happening. Our rainfall so far for October is 16.2 mils. Against this time last year, it was 122.8 mils. So I have a feeling we're not going to get there unless we have an absolute deluge range. But here we are having what we have. And look at our eastern uh, counterparts and, mm, and all that exactly. they are dealing with. So it's just... Yeah, there are no words. All right, we're going straight out to the lines. We're in Huntingdale. Jean, good morning. Yes, good morning. Hello, ladies. Um, Hi, Jean. Good, 
Hi, got a really weird problem. Um, I have planted garlic for years and had good crops. This year I planted usual time, Anzac Day, lots of good stuff in the soil, blah, blah, blah. Some seed of my own and some I bought from the big green shed. About a week ago, I walked past and they were healthy. The next day, they were covered in a black aphid type thing and they were all droopy. I had to harvest them and they were pathetic. Have you got any ideas? Well, it's funny because... You know, the companion planting would suggest if you plant onions and garlic, it keeps away the aphids. However, there there are aphids that are drawn to the garlic and uh, onion families. Terry, do you do you know much about aphids and garlic? Very no, no okay. I'm not much of a gardener. I'm mm. sorry. Well, all I um, would probably suggest. I mean, it's a tricky one because when your garlic is getting near the end of harvest. What we like to do is turn the water off, let the plant die back and the energy goes from its healthy stems into the bulb or corm itself. Uh, You'd have to get rid of the black aphids, either wiping the stem or hosing them off. That's Uh, what I did, but they came back a day later. Okay. The other thing would be to cut them off at ground level. However, that's going to stop all that good energy going in and and plumping mm. up your, your bulbs. Uh, now, now that I've harvested them, what my aim is now is to make sure this doesn't happen again next year. What can I do that, you know, do I get new seeds? What, I, when really when you say sure. seed, do you mean seed or do you mean cloves? Yeah, cloves. Okay, cloves. yes, because that's how we grow. Uh, I would recommend a a barrier, some type of fine netting. Okay. Okay, because I've never seen anything like it. They Mm. were completely black like they had been painted. Right. And also companion planting, putting other plants amongst it, uh, perhaps marigolds or, or something that will also target the aphids. So plants that have an umble flower... Uh, parsley, carrots, Queen Anne's lace, that sort of thing. They Mm -hmm. are fantastic hosts and and breeding grounds for beneficial insects. So we would get uh, lacewings come in and their larvae are wonderful predators. Mm -hmm. Hoverflies uh, and not using chemicals and poisons around the garden can also help, but it takes time. To build up. Yeah, they were in my veggie patch, so they had leeks and spring onions and, you know, other veggies that were in, um, half, you know, in season all around them. And, and this has never happened before. And it, But you also said spring onions, so you've got two types in the same family and that's why yeah. we mix them up. So adding it's variety. Great. Putting, putting some flowering plants around the edge, salvias. Oh, there were marigolds. There were marigolds around the okay. edge. Okay, yeah. yep. Lots more. Lots more flowers. Okay. Basil. Mix, mix it up and confuse the aphids. Can you can you suggest somewhere where I can get some good seed cloves for next year, where, where that would be a good place to get them? I 
don't think it will be at this time of year. Uh, no, no. One of the nursery suppliers... Um, have a look at the Garden Festival this week. I know oh, some yeah. of the exhibitors okay. there, you could put your name down and okay. um, ask when they'll be available. Okay. Thank you. You've been most helpful. You're welcome. Good on you, Jean. Bye. Bye. Um, we did have a message from Cindy in Bindoon and she has baby sunrose succulents growing near her roses. How mm. close to the stems can they get? Well, they, they could get very close. However, mm. I would keep them away about to your drip line. Mm. Keep the, the base of the Clear. the plant free because yeah. baby sunrose will, like, go up and yes. it, it would yeah. choke, yeah. choke it sure. out. For mm. sure. Okay. All right. So back to our native bees, or do we have to have a break? Not yet. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. So I've 20 got past, 10 minutes. 20 enough. past. Yep. All right. Well, uh, what will we talk about next? Um, I'll go on, Terry. Let's talk about the latest news. <laughs> <laughs> and that is? A very beautiful bee was photographed and posted to a Facebook group. And Faye knows a bit about this because she was one of the people that uh, sent the link to me to say, what is this bee? Mm -hmm. And when I saw this bee, my eyes enlarged to the size of dinner plates <laughs> because I'd been seeking a bee like this. And the story revolves around Dryandra Village, which many people know down towards Narragin. So in the Western Australian Museum collection, there is one specimen, a female specimen of a bee, larger than a honeybee and with a, an orange-red abdomen. It's the only one of its kind that I knew. And it belongs, I don't like throwing out scientific names, but there's mm. no other name to use for this group of bees but anthoglossa. So it was an anthoglossa, a group that I've been studying in recent times. Now, when I saw this photo, it was a male, which I could recognise because it had very long antennae for a bee. They were remarkably long. And I call this bee beautiful because it was covered in a, a coat of, you could call it fur, I suppose, mm. short mm. hair, very dense, of a golden rusty colour, and it had an orange-red abdomen. So I thought this is probably going to be the male of that female that I've been out in search of in past years. So it's very rare. Find. It's very rare. Certainly very rare in collections. Mm. Out in the field, it could be a different matter. Right. So once I got some details of where that bee was photographed, I hightailed it down to Dryandra, a day trip of 180 kilometres one way. And I searched and searched and I could not find them on native plants, but I wandered out into the Dryandra Arboretum uh, where there are a number of eucalypts and many were in flower. So I'm searching around the flowers and all I'm seeing are honeybees. But eventually I wandered past some mallees which were heavy in bud but had no flowers and I suddenly start hearing zooming sounds. Wow. Oh, that sounds like a bee. Mm. And not just one, but there are... Lots of them zooming around these mallees. Anyway, I spent about an hour swishing my net trying to capture one. They were just so fast and they wouldn't settle. But I got one and I returned home with one, which I was able to examine carefully. <sighs> it was the kind that had been photographed. And yes, it's a distinct species not known from anywhere else at this stage. Uh-huh. 
So I've been back there yet another time. I couldn't understand why the males were zooming around Mallies with no flower. I thought maybe they're waiting for the buds to open and the females will be here once the flowers are open. Two and a half weeks later I get back there to find the buds haven't changed and there are no more males zooming around. And I'd gone back with an extra big net to help me catch some more. (laughs) Anyway, I wandered around and wandered around and eventually I found some other eucalyptus flowers, not native to um, this area, but brought in and planted in the arboretum. Beautiful red flowers. And there I got glimpses of some large bees with red bottoms, but they were so skittish I couldn't get Mm. anywhere near them. Mm. But at one point I was standing chatting to a friend who was there to take some photos, and an insect came buzzing around our feet. And as soon as I got my eyes onto it, I realised it was a female loaded with pollen. And as we stepped back to see what it was going to do, it dropped into a hole and disappeared out of sight. Mm. But that bee did not re-emerge from that burrow. In fact, we couldn't find the burrow. It must have blocked it up from the inside, as many bees do. How long did you watch it for? Well, I sat there one morning for two and a half hours without moving my eyes. You poor thing. A labour of love, I know. It's part of the game. You've got to be persistent in this game. Yes. Now, um, Faye, Bill from Gidjigana called in. He has a native pair, not pollinating, and he's wondering if it's a bee problem. What could be planted to help pollination? Uh, I wonder if it possibly needs another pear tree. A partner mm. that that will certainly help. Um, I think that's all. Yeah. Um, let's. What we need to find out is what variety it is mm. to be so, able to match up. So maybe John can do a a search and find out about pears and pollinate. I guess he needs honeybees, but. Um, Mm. Be be handy if Bill was on the phone to be able to well, ask the yeah, questions. Well, yeah, Bill, if you if you are listening, give us a call and uh, we'll we'll have a discussion on air w- with you. And Anne Marie from Riverton said that she has used the slasher, worked very well for her, and thank you very much. Oh, that's that's good to hear. We, we like that. <laughs> a, a, a good result. Nine four eight four one nine two seven. Now we've got another open garden today. Where is my information? Amanda's garden, Faye. Yes. This is a garden close to your heart, Faye. I yes, think. Yes, it is. Yeah, you've done a interview I saw on hmm. Facebook uh, some time ago with um, Margaret. No, sorry, with... Uh, Lorraine and Barry. Thank you in very their much. Yes, I'm just looking at the address for people. It's Amanda's Garden. It's at the junction of Margaret and Madison Streets in Southern River. Uh, and it's the, an annual fete. So it's today and tomorrow, 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Entry $5, children free. Now, what's the garden like? You've seen it. Oh, it's it's a large rural garden. Mm. There are paper barks, uh, ponds, a Monet's bridge. There yes. are roses, yes. specifically Amanda's rose, which was named and came a- about. The garden is open uh, to raise funds and awareness for the meningococcal disease, yes. of which Amanda was diagnosed and passed away within 24 hours she was only at 18. the age of 18. Yeah. And, you know... 
the thing about this disease is it the symptoms are quite like a, a cold or flu, but they happen very quickly. And I know when um, when I first found out about this, I had students at TAFE and Lorraine and Barry came out and, and explained about the disease and one of the symptoms may be a rash. And this happened to a friend of mine because we we had talked a lot about this and mm. she knew about it, was on her radar. One night her son was very sick in bed and she went in and she checked on him. I've got goosebumps, but mm. she found this rash. Mm. And because she was able to, to get him to hospital quite quickly, yeah. it made quite he a was, difference. He was saved. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, certainly... Over the weekend, they have a market there as well. There's art displays, sausage sizzle, Devonshire uh, teas. Uh, and you can just sort of sit amongst the beautiful music that they have there and all the attractions and wonderful paperbarks. There are jacarandas, magnolias, flame and eucalypts, uh, clivias, azaleas, camellias, salvias, poppies, irises. It Forget-me-nots. It sounds absolutely glorious if you could get, a, get along over the weekend to Amanda's Garden uh, supporting a magnificent cause uh, for uh, Amanda's parents. And, uh, yeah, we, we totally uh, support this garden opening every year, don't we? All right, now we have... Bill online, he has rung us back to talk about his woody pear, WA. Oh, woody pear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Bill, hi. Thanks for ringing back. Yeah, hi, Faye and Ray and Terry. Um, yeah, it's a woody pear. It's a, the um, WA woody pear, the xylomenum, I think is the botanical yes. name. Yes. And it's, um, look, it's about, it's probably 10 years old, quite healthy, four or five metres high, a few metres wide. Flowers, it's, it's probably flowered for the last five or six years beautifully uh, around December and um, heavily scented, which I'd suggest is probably to attract a night flowering moth or a native bee. I was just wondering if Terry might um, have an idea because it just never sets seed and um, it's an absolutely beautiful plant and I, I wouldn't mind getting the, the florist use the... Um, you obviously can't eat the pears because they're rock hard. They are, they are like wood. Yes. And, and are I they developing I'm... on the tree? No, no. So that's my situation. I, they flower, it flowers, but it doesn't pollinate. So I've spoken to a few people and they suggest that I haven't got the correct pollinator, which is more than likely a native bee. Um, I can tell you that years ago up in the Eniabra region, I was collecting a small native bee off woody pear flowers and it's the only plant that I've ever found that kind of bee so it seems to be a ah. specialist on ah. woody pears but you're right when you say that the, the flowers are white and highly scented that does suggest that they might be moth pollinated um, because that's a common thing but um, just because they they might be moth pollinated but it doesn't stop other insects going in for nectar or bees going in for pollen. So, um, yeah, look, I can't offer you any practical assistance on this one, I'm afraid. It's okay. quite a minefield, isn't it, Terry? Because as much as we, we know, I mean, you've explained how difficult that bee was to catch. And so, you know, the the study that goes on to to find out all the links and the relationships is very complex. 
It is indeed very complex. And uh, yes, there's quite a lot of interest these days in finding pollinators of native plants to aid the growing of um, seed um, populations for re-greening projects. So I've just been learning about that from a colleague in recent times. So while my work on native bees might seem rather academic, it can have practical applications down the track. But I wish I could help you with your woody pear. I think Bill's actually dropped out, but I'm sure he's still listening. All right. So, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, Caroline, we will be with you on the other side of this. Curtain Radio. And the gardening show continues. You're with Ray and Faye and our special guest in the studio, Terry Houston. And we are talking native bees. We're straight out to the lines, however. We're in Dianella. Caroline, good morning. Oh, good morning, ladies and Terry. Um, I was just ringing about, I think the plant was a shizanthus. It looks like someone's taken a pair of scissors and cut all the flowers off. They're not on the ground. They were disappearing one at a time. And I've got all these really healthy green stalks left, and it looks like someone's come with a pair of scissors and cut them off. Gosh. Um, could be a caterpillar, perhaps. Um, There's no what, caterpillar what was, there. No. What was the plant again? A shizanthus. So flower. annual flowers, Caroline? I think they are. I don't yeah. know. I, don't, I just bought them in the punnet. I just had a look. Suppose I could look at the little thing again. Yeah. I, it's, it's just... It's an annual flower. They're very pretty. They have a leaf-like military fern, which is not a fern. I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, okay. Well, one at a time, you say, like, what, each yeah. day you go out and there's another one yeah. gone? Yeah. All right. So it does sound and like something. It's sub- not on the ground. Pardon? It's not on the ground around it. You know, I understand when flowers die and fall off. Oh. They just disappear. Sounds like something for a detective. <laughs> Emotion <laughs> It's not a snail camera. issue, is the it? Stalks, no, the stalks are healthy and green. No, there's no snails here at all. No snails, no caterpillars. So no, no grasshoppers. But for the hog, all right, you need to go here. out. Mm. If they're going overnight, you need mm. to go out in the evening with a torch. If there's mm. no sign of the flower, then... Well, you can also go out different times of the day and monitor whether the flower is disappearing a little bit at a time if something's eating it. Yeah. So here's the thing. There's the beautiful green stalks, nothing left. Yeah. I was thinking, I think I better just pull them out now. No, don't do that. You need to get to the bottom of the mystery. So go out there every hour on the hour, Caroline, (laughs) and... Take a, a magnifying glass, look under the flowers, and and monitor. Yeah, the flowers are tiny. They're, it's called angel wings. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yep. Angel wings. It's quite tiny. There's one that was next to a pelargonium that they haven't found. That's the only one with a flower left. All right. Well, you've got a job to do. Yep. Report back. I did take a photo. I was going to try and get it to you. I'll see if I can send it to you during the week. Oh, there is something here eating my other little thing, though. Uh-huh. All uh, right. All right. Got, Report back something. next week. Definitely something there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. Thanks, just, Caroline. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Now, Terry, we have had an email come in, and this is specially for you. 
So someone's been reading your book and notes that you've never been able to encourage blue banded bees to nest in mud bricks in Perth. And to to quote you, it says, in Perth, which is built over deep sand, the bees nest in loose sandy soil and I have not succeeded in enticing them to nest in mud bricks. So the question from John is in the absence of so-called mud bricks as an option for attracting blue-banded bees in the Perth area, what is a good alternative to encourage blue-banded bees to nest in our residential yards? Okay. <laughs> well, it's an interesting question you pose there, John, and uh, I have to um, clarify that there is more than one species of blue-banded bee in the Perth region. So on the Swan Coastal Plain, where we have all these sandy soils, we have one. But if you go up under the harder soils of the Darling Escarpment and uh, east of there, there is another species and uh, that will nest in hard clay soils and even in adobe bricks. So I've seen that in an old building up in the uh, Darling Ranges. But as for trying to provide nesting places for blue-banded bees, I wouldn't worry about trying to put anything there. They will find their place to nest if you just give them plenty of flowers to encourage them into your garden. Mm. And I've very seldom seen a blue-banded bee enter a nest. Um, they often go under something, so it might be the under under the edge of a paving stone or a piece of wood, um, a leaf or something. So their nests are very inconspicuous and hard to spot. I know. I've I've tried the same thing. I've made the mud bricks and yeah, you with have. That and, and I've struggled to find a nest of blue banded bees. People keep posting on Facebook, yes, at their back door in yellow sand or near a fence. And it's like ah, I found the males roosting, um, and I have watched after I've blower back the patio a bee come round and it bzz, bzz, and she goes everywhere around the paving looking for her nest and I think, oh no, I've blown her sand away mm. and she doesn't know where her nest is. Um, and I've seen a couple go down like where the pergola stirrup goes into the ground in between pavers. They go in there. I've watched, mm. um, but not consistently. So I'm I'm yet to find one that she goes in and out of and I can monitor. But what I have noted, uh, there was a, a mud brick building up in Kalamunda that had the blue banded bees going in up the top and nesting. And in the Yanship National Park, a termite mound was uh -huh. then home to native bees, bl uh, blue banded blue, yes. bees. Yes. They seemed to like the mud. Oh, there was one more thing. Ben Mayo, who we've had on the show, yes. had a mud nest on the side of his house from wasps and the blue banded bees have now gone in and made that their home. That's right. So that is the species that normally, well, I wouldn't say normally, but it lives up in the Darling Range and burrows into hard soils. Mm. They can, as you've noted, use termite um, soil. It's called mud guts, the mud uh -huh. that uh, termites make in tree hollows. Mm. Um, or these uh, mud wasps, uh, that make big nests on walls, they do provide an ideal place for this species to nest. And so I've seen them uh, close to the Swan River um, in, I think it was Bassendine or 
Bayswater one of those days. Mm. Oh, it's yeah. We just got to keep looking and sharing, don't we? That's right. So uh, these days, when just about everyone has a camera on their phone and can take close-up photos, there are just so many things being brought to our attention. So we need more citizen science. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Get, get more people involved. And there's one intriguing thing I'd like to share that. If you want to see bees in your garden, I mentioned earlier how some are really tiny. Well, one of my friends sent me photos of her Jarrah furniture, uh, garden furniture. So it's a table with bench seats attached and it's riddled with little um, beetle borer holes. They would be called pinhole borers, uh, the beetles that make them only a couple of millimetres in diameter, but dozens and dozens of these holes, and almost all of them are occupied by a minute native bee. So when she and her husband sit at the table in summer, they're surrounded by a cloud of these little bees coming and going. So uh, it's a species whose nest I haven't studied, but I can hardly ask, do you mind if I saw off a piece of your Jarrah table? (laughs) (laughs) So I've been hoping to find mm. them elsewhere in, say, an old fence post that has these mm. pinhole borers in. What is the species of bee? Uh, it's uh, in the genus Euryglossina. Ah, yes. And it's in a group of bees that swallow their pollen, so they don't carry pollen loads externally. So you would pass it off as a tiny wasp um, because they're black and have yellow markings. I have seen them in one of my bee hotels, Terry, because okay. when I started out making bug hotels, I just put lots of pretty things in there. So I used um, expanded clay balls. I used champagne corks. A bit silly. Um, but I, I monitored to see what would go in that. I rolled up paper bark, and the paper bark has little holes in it. So I do have some of those photos of those those bees. Okay. And we've got a call, guys, in East Cannington. Diane, good morning. Hi, Diane. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Um, There is a question I want to ask. I've got some bees in a tree trunk. Um, They've been there for about eight to nine months. The only thing is I'm due to get my house sprayed with termite because of termite, and they're supposed to be sprayed within the next two weeks. Would that affect the uh, the bees? Of the bees are in, did you say, a tree hollow? Yes, in a, well, they made the hollow. It was a, it's a, a, a crack in the a tree and it sort of, they made it. It took them about eight, nine months to get through. Yeah, and it's in the hollow. But that actually tree was sprayed about two years ago from the city of Canning because it did have um, white ants and they did spray it. So uh, because I'm going to get my house and the garden because I've got a big area done, um, I was going to ask them to do around the trunk of the tree, but I'm a bit worried about the bees. Um, look, I I wouldn't expect that the insecticide being sprayed would be sprayed in a way that would affect the, the bees. Um, so it's pretty hard to say without knowing a lot more detail. So I can only mm. say I wouldn't think so. Well, and Diane, it sounds like they're honeybees that have moved into the trunk, not native bees, okay? And the the controllers for the white ants will probably treat in a different way. So they may be around the base. Um, But, yeah, like Terry said, it depends how they're they're going to treat 
the tree? Yeah, because the bees will be about oh, 10 foot off the ground. So really, you've got to look up. And it's not anywhere down the, you know, down the bottom of the ground. Yes. So it's just that I was a bit worried because I had put it off for a couple of weeks now. And um, I did ring the shy. The shy couldn't sort of comment much. Um, they said this, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, that's the answer I sort of got. <laughs> well, you need to ask the, the people who are con, um, conducting the pest treatment and if you're yeah. worried and you want to keep the bees, then yeah. to tell them to look out for it. Yeah, and another thing, the, during the week, twice now, they just swarm like mad. There was thousands of them around. Ah, the- yes, they, they will... The colony can split and and move off, and that's what's known as swarming. So yeah. we, it might be time to, for us to talk to Dan Dowser again in the next few weeks to talk about bee swarming. Yeah, and I looked up on the internet. They said when they swarm, they don't really bite, do they? No, they don't. They're just moving through looking for another hollow tree space or compost oh, bin right. or Telstra box. Yeah, because I I rang the school up and let the school know because the kids go past around that time. Okay. Thank oh. you very much. That was very helpful. Thanks, Thanks Diane. Diane. Bye. 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 And there is another open garden happening tomorrow in Greenfields, which is Mandra, and I'll give you the address, 13 Palomino Place in Greenfields. It's open from 9.30 tomorrow morning to 3 p.m. Entry is $8. Now, the garden looks uh, absolutely gorgeous. I'm looking at the pictures as I'm speaking. Rather cottagey. There's arbours everywhere and magnificent places to sit. You're smiling away there, Faith. Oh, it's a beautiful, it's a pretty garden. It's very pretty, very pretty. So we do encourage uh, listeners to get along if you'd like a gorgeous day trip or you're in that neck of the woods or close by uh, to this open garden tomorrow happening between 9.30 and 3 p.m., 13 Palomino Place in Greensfield. It looks absolutely gorgeous. Good luck with that, guys, as well. And I'll give you a mention of the other open gardens towards the end of the program. We're in Two Rocks. Arthur, how are you? Morning, Arthur. Quite good. Thank you very much. Lovely weather and everything's fine. And uh, thank you very much. Uh, I've got a little problem. Uh, I've been gardening quite a lot, but I never had anything to do with kale in my lifetime. So... I've read about it, never never eaten it. I wouldn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've, I've I bought some broccoli plants this year from the from the nursery, and it's got broccoli written on it. Uh, so I planted all these. They're growing beautiful, but they will not have any heads in them. They so and they've got these beautiful big leaves spread out all around there. It looks like a swede plant a bit even. Right. No roots on them or anything, of course. But yep. the, uh, the I think it might be kale. It's crinkly. The centre leaves are very crinkly. Well, a couple of things, Arthur. If you've got big lush leaves, maybe yeah. they've got, had too much nitrogen fertiliser, so the energy's gone into the leaves, not the flowers. Oh, right. And there are types of broccoli that are bunching. Um, broccolini is a, a different in different variety. So instead of having a large head, you'll get lots of little stalks. And the more oh, you right. pick, yeah, yeah. the more they yeah. grow. Unless oh, you right. leave them yeah. too long and they turn into flowers. And oh, yeah, the, yeah, the plants yeah. are related, so it can oh, right. be quite similar. 
So I, I don't know whether to try and try and uh, cook a couple of these leaves and see what they taste like. Absolutely, yes. Yep. Would that would it do you any harm? Do you think? No. Or? And in fact, <laughs> no. And another lot of research that I've been doing this week is yeah. maximum taste, zero waste. And this came from a call that we got last weekend about a book that uses up every part of the plant. So All I've right. been doing my homework on that instead of, you know, like often we'll we'll pick a broccoli and cut off the yeah. stems. Well, oh, there's yeah, no I reason why too. you can't use it all. And the leaves. Oh, right. Oh, good. Well, anyway, I'm not sure. So I won't kill myself if I eat it, so I won't matter. So. As long as it's broccoli. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, it's one or the other. Okay. It's either... Either kale or broccoli, but kale. What what does that grow like? What is it any any way of telling? Very leafy, but yeah. it will also flower. So, very similar. Will, will flower. You'll yeah. live to fight another day, Arthur. Take care. Thank you very much. Cheers, Sorry to trouble you. No, not no at problem. all. Nice to hear from you. Thanks. All right. Now we have a quick break. When we return, we're talking up to Terry. She wants to know he or she, he maybe wants to know how to store ginger. And you're listening to Let's Talk Gardening. Straight back out to the lines. We are in Alexander Heights. Terry, hi. Good morning, lady. Morning. Uh, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to harvest nearly two kilos of ginger. Wow. (laughs) And and, I've grown in in, uh, half a dozen pots. And I've just been to see if you can give me some advice on the best way to store it because I'm not a loser, obviously. Yeah. You can actually freeze ginger. So initially I would just keep it in in the pantry at room temperature and start using it that way. But it can shrivel over time Mm. and it can start to shoot. So I would replant some for sure and keep it going because now we're going into the warmer months. So that's fantastic. You obviously know how to grow it well. But, yeah, put some some in the freezer and if you're grating it for, for drinks or slicing it into dishes... No problem having it frozen. Oh, right, yeah. Cause, so uh, someone suggested maybe just chop it finely and put it in a little uh, ice cube container. Yes? Well, you well, just, can... Just freeze, it, just freeze it whole. You Well, you can leave it whole. I've done it before and it just, yeah, stays hard and easy to use. Okay. What are you going to do with 32 kilos of ginger, Terry? Well, no, two. Two, two kilos. Oh, I two thought you kilos. said 32. Well, then oh, you two can... kilo. That's not oh, so bad. <laughs> you can preserve it. You can crystallise oh. it. There's, yeah, lots of lots of different ways. And we might cover this in our um, Maximum Taste Zero Waste. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't know about the, the leaves die off before you harvest it, like garlic and things like that, but... You know what we'll do, Terry? We'll get John to have a search around. He's As our well. food connoisseur. Well. <laughs> so keep listening. Yeah, so that basically, I mean, I can just freeze it whole and just use it as necessary. Yes, absolutely. Jolly good. Well, I won't lose anything. I won't lose any of it this year, then. No, that's your job for the day. Thanks, Thank you, Thanks, Terry. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Bye. And we're in Forest Field talking about an avocado tree which is losing its fruit. Alan, hi. Yes, uh, good morning, ladies. Um, yeah, our avocado uh, had heaps of fruit on there last year and uh, must have raked up over 100 of them. 
that had fallen on the ground, and we ended up with a with a massive eight, I think. Oh. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, of course, all the the foothills there is, as you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, renowned for high winds during the summer and that. But um, uh, I don't think it was entirely the the wind's fault. Um, any um, any ideas how we can keep the fruit on the tree, please? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is giving it some protection, so creating a wind break or keeping your, your tree small so that you mm-hmm. are able to better protect it, uh, right. making sure that it, it's not lacking in moisture and nutrients. Very important to have trace elements. Mulch the tree. They have a very shallow root system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that you had such a good crop last year may may indicate that it was a weather event that sort of caused this one. Right. Yeah, I see. Yeah, because uh, on one side of the tree, we've got um, lawn, and on the other side of the tree is uh, taken up with um, uh, you know, veggies and things, things like that, um, or, or ground covers. Um, I've got to admit that... Um, it hasn't had a lot of uh, fertilizer, but um, um, and also the uh, trace elements uh, haven't mm. given the um, trace elements to it either. I, I guess I tend to um, hopefully prevent a lot of nutrient deficiencies by at least in autumn and September or springtime adding a slow release fertilizer for flowering and fruiting plants or even a general one to pretty much my all of my garden and that ensures that you have given it some nutrients including trace elements so that's probably my best recommendations Ellen yeah I see so I hope that helps okay yeah for sure yeah thanks very much thanks Ellen cheers for that Thank you. Thanks, Ray. Bye. Okay. Bye. Um, let's head to Glen Forest. We're chatting with Alistair. Hi. Good morning to you. Morning. Um, I've got a problem in that I've got two um, small citrus trees that I bought from the um, place in the big green building. Yes. Yep. And I've left them in their little plastic bags for far too long, and they're now pretty well root-bound. What can I do about them? Get them out as soon as you can. Get them into a bigger pot with some premium quality potting mix and make sure you lift your game, Alistair. (laughs) Give them everything they need. Give them them a liquid seaweed tonic. Um, Yeah, if, if you do that, I'm sure they'll respond fairly quickly. If the roots are circling round and round, you may have to tease them out a bit. Yeah, but just, I would. That's why a seaweed tonic will help them as well. And right. going forward, um, yeah, just give them a little bit of love. The best protection you can give your plants is your shadow. So get right. out there regularly. It took a little bit of time for that uh, comment to sink in, but yeah, very good one. <laughs> All right. I hope that helps. All righty, magic. So I can actually um, try and loosen up some of the, the roots when I transplant them. Yes, you can. Excellent. Okay. Thank, All right. Thank you very much. Good Bye. on you, Alistair. Bye. Bye. Oh, okay. And we have a native bee query. Eileen, good morning. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Good morning. I just turned the radio off. Um, yes. 
I, I was listening to you be oh, well. I listen to your program all the time, but um, we we live in Ardross and we've got an old gum tree that was killed when the electricity people went through for something. And so I've left the, the, the old tree there and it's got lots and lots of holes in which I thought might be borers and things. But a couple of weeks ago I looked at it and some of the holes had sand in them or something blocking it. And I was going to scratch it and see what was in it and I thought, oh, there might be a bee in there. Perhaps it's a bee hotel. Oh, yes. <laughs> would, it, 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 would that be... Would there, or would it have been a worm or something in there? Well, it's quite possible that it was a native bee that had blocked up the entrance after completing a nest. So it was just like sand or something. It was not, not wasn't yeah. waxy or anything. Okay. Well, it, it could also have been made by a wasp, maybe a mud wasp. So uh, it's very hard to tell sometimes. It's <laughs> only if the, uh, the seal in a burrow is green and it's been made from chewed up plant material, can you be sure that it's a bee? But yes, there are many wasps that... Oh, well, I'll look. Yeah. Eileen, after, after our break, I'll tell you a little story. So keep listening. And um, Terry, this involves you too. Okay. Oh, all right, good. And also, um, we do have native bees. I've seen them flying around. That's because I've been saying to my husband, I want a, a bee hotel made. And then I thought, well, this tree might be doing the, the trick. Yep, that's could. for sure. Yes, cut it for down, sure. So. Oh, lovely. Okay, thanks, everybody. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. Okay, bye. Okay, we'll be back in a moment. And we've got about eight minutes of the gardening show left. Not even. Audrey, uh, we've noted your message and Faye will give you a call after the show and we will connect you through to the person that you're chasing. Just to cap on the open gardens this week, today and tomorrow you have Amanda's Garden open from 10am to 4.30pm. It's at Margaret and Madison Streets in Southern River. It's a... it's. Honour honor this garden and go along and it's all on behalf of the Amanda Young Foundation as we explained earlier and uh, it's a beautiful day out. So a beautiful garden, a fantastic cause if you can get along and we also have Suzanne's Gardening Sanctuary up there in Glen Forest. The address is 42 Hardy Road in Glen Forest today and tomorrow open between 10am and 4pm and uh, what a magnificent garden that is and don't forget also if you're in the Greenfields area or would like to travel to Mandra, there's a beautiful garden open tomorrow uh, from 9.30 to 3pm, 13 Palomino Place. Okay, so hope you had your diaries open, guys, and uh, there'll be more coming next week. So very busy time of the year for we gardeners and we love it. So our last call was Eileen from Ardross and yes. she was talking about the borer holes in her tree. Now, Terry, many years ago at the beginning of my native bee journey I was hanging out the washing on a clothesline that was fixed against my house wall and I noticed a little insect buzzing around after monitoring it for days I watched her seal up her nest and got photos and I posted on Bowerbird and I think Ken Walker contacted you and I believe it may have been the first sighting of a hylaeus or masked bee making making its nest here, um, an introduced species from another state. Now, where, what was the situation where the bee was making its nest? In the mortar joint on oh. a brick wall. Mm. Okay. Um, 
I'm not sure. I can't recall exactly that. I know I've seen a lot of things from Bowerbird over the years. But, yeah, masked bees will lodge in a hole somewhere or many of them... No, no, I'll go back a bit. There's one in particular that will use old mud nests. Yes. So that species wasn't known in Western Australia a long while ago, but in more recent, I think, decades now, it's been found all over the place. So it's probably been carried over uh, thanks to the agency of man and you know transport in mud nests. So some of them will go into hollows and they can plug up the entrance. Did you notice what it was plugged well, with? Well, initially, like many of my mass bees will have a cellophane seal, but yes. this one actually then seemed to um, add sand or right. mud. Okay. So I think it's probably this little bee called Hylaeus nubilosus. Yes. So, yes, they are one of the few members of its uh, group that will actually remodel earth to provide a seal whereas the others, other members of its group, use that membranous seal, which is a secretion applied by the tongue. Yes, and I've got videos of that too. Fantastic. <laughs> but they, they don't look like a bee. They're, well, they don't look like a honeybee. They're not furry. They're, they're black, almost ant-like, but bigger, and little triangle patterns on their face that look like eyes. Mm. Yeah, they're more mm. waspy in appearance, yes. aren't they? Yes, yeah. so that's one variety, and they're very common very readily nest in bug hotels. Now, other common ones that people might see in their garden, perhaps the blue-banded bees or the leaf-cutter bees, um, these, these are common. It'd be great to, to help our listeners recognise how to see them in the garden or what they're after. Yeah, well, let's start with a leaf-cutter bee because it gets us into an interesting family. People are most likely to notice that their rose leaves are being cut by something, leaving these neat circular or elliptical holes. Now, it's not something eating the leaves, it's the leafcutter bees snipping out a nice little piece to take back to its nesting hollow, and they put these pieces together to make a brood cell. So they're little barrel-shaped containers that they then put pollen and nectar into, and they seal them up with an egg. So related to the leaf cutters is another group called the resin bees because they collect resin, not leaf pieces, but they collect resin and often they will chew up leaves into a paste. They can mix the two things together. Um, so they're unusual amongst bees in that they do collect materials in their environment and transport them back to their nest hollow. So most other bees just work with what they've got or they secrete some material to line the nesting chambers. So if you have a bee hotel, um, you're most likely to see either the masked bees that you mentioned a moment ago or you'll have the resin bees that will eventually plug up the entrance once they've built all the cells they can in that, that little tube. So depending on whether they've used just resin where you might get a brown seal uh, or if they used more of the chewed up leaf paste, you'll get a green seal or some combination of the two. And uh, often they will ornament the outer surface of the seal with little bits of plant fibre or leaf hairs or bits of sand. 
I don't know why they put that ornamentation on. Is it to try to hide Decorate it? Decorate it, have the fanciest house. If only we could talk house. to bees and say, Wouldn't, well, wouldn't that, that be handy? <laughs> and Faye I'll, Faye, I'll get you to comment on this as well. Peter called in from Maddington and he said he felt that Eileen from Ardross's problem is a sand groper, comes at night and disappears in the morning. Your comments on that? Uh, no. 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 <laughs> Not. Not. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other subject. Yeah. We could be here all day talking about my favourite bugs, sandgroper being one of them, but no, that that would be in the sand. Yeah, okay. Mm. Look, um, Terry, we could have you in for hours, I am sure, and uh, just sit and listen to your incredible knowledge. And it's a life's work. I'm 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 convinced of that. It's proving to be, yes. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. But thank you for having me. No, thank you for joining us. I know that everyone out there would have been fascinated with everything that you've had to say and also thanking... Hard-working Cheryl Kennedy. We threw her into the deep end today, as we always do. And our very own John Glidden and Faye Akaro. Coming up next, we have Jim Crinan, our cycling DJ with the classic 70s. And my gardenism for the morning is, as long as you have a garden, you have a future. And as long as you have a future, you are alive. Look after yourselves, everybody, and have fun. And uh, get along with those open gardens if you can. Happy gardening. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.